Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. When a lot of people think of Matt Drudge, they immediately think of the Clintons, for obvious reasons. I wanted to know what people in Clinton world thought of Drudge, who has covered the family for more than 25 years, and obviously not very kindly. So I started with the raging Cajun himself, James Carville, the architect of Bill Clinton's first presidential campaign. Carville is married to Mary Madeline, a longtime Republican operative who also knew Drudge. We heard from her in a previous episode. Our chat got off to an interesting start. Carville was at his farm in Virginia, and one of his dogs had pooped on the floor when I called the Carville-Madeline household. dog poo-poo. I'll get it. Hey, how are you? Hey, Mr. Carville, this is Chris Moody. It's so nice to be speaking. Well, I, don't, don't, I don't know Mr. Carville, but James is right here. Go ahead. Do you recall uh, interacting with Matt Drudge or, or having any meetings with the Clintons about Matt Drudge? I met him at Rush Limbaugh's wedding. You can imagine every conservative luminary was there. It was an actually a fun wedding, to tell you the truth, that I remember pretty well. Anybody that was anybody in conservative America was at that wedding. And you. <laughs> and me, yeah. <laughs> As James Carville watched Drudge make the rounds at the party, he found him to be fairly reserved in a group setting. He's not a particularly an extrovert, you know? He's a, you know, he's not much of a, as I recall, a, a kind of a backslapper, you know, good old boy, hell of a fella kind of thing. But he obviously has a genius because he's still freaking relevant. Who else is? What did the Clintons think of Matt Drudge? Did his reporting cause headaches for the campaign? Yeah, of course it did. He was a very relevant person during the tribulations. Were people in, in like, Clinton world reading Drudge Report and talking about the Drudge Report? And what? Well, yeah, everybody was. Yes. The answer, he, he, he was relevant. Not, not just we would read it, everybody was reading it. How did Drudge's influence of posting news quickly on the web change how someone like you would do your job? Did it force campaigns to have to move faster? Absolutely. I think the trend had already started, but it, it, it accelerated it because it allowed things to get in the bloodstream, you know, that used to take 36 hours, takes 3.6 seconds now. 
used to be that, you know, you'd have a day and somebody would file and there'd be a piece in the Times and a post or, you know, some column and everybody would tee off on it. So, I mean, I think the, the effect of me in drugs was to kind of, I, I think I'm correct on this, if not the first, had to be one of the first real internet celebrities. And I think it, the, the whole thing, and there's nothing I could do to stop it, has caused a, a deterioration in civic education in the country because it allows people to live in their own ideological comfort zone. And it allows you to go to read what confirms whatever you think. And I've always thought that was dangerous kind of thinking. But I can tell you, you can ask me if I think it's good or bad. Uh, you know, I could argue that, that it hadn't been good, but it's there. There's nothing you can do about it. There's, you can't unring the bell, if you will. And to give Drudge's credit, he was one of the first people to ring that bell. I mean, he saw something. He was ahead of his time. Of course, Bill Clinton isn't the only Clinton who has had to contend with Matt Drudge. When his wife, Hillary, ran for president in 2008 and again in 2016, Matt Drudge was there waiting for her. Drudge was on Hillary's campaign radar, and like it or not, her campaign had to keep its eye on him. In this episode, I'll take you behind the scenes of the Clinton campaign and show you something that might surprise you, that one Hillary Clinton campaign staffer was closer to Drudge than almost any Republican. This is Finding Matt Drudge. How could the most powerful man in media basically just vanish from public life? From JMW Productions and iHeartMedia, this is Finding Matt Drudge. The year was 2007, and the Drudge Report was by now one of the most influential news sites on the internet. Everyone in political media read him. Didn't matter if you were left, right, Republican, Democrat. Philippe Rhinus was a Clinton spokesman who had started working with Hillary Clinton in 2002, and when she announced her candidacy for president five years later, he handled press for the campaign. In addition to keeping an eye on how the Clinton campaign was covered in major papers like the New York Times or on cable television, the Drudge Report was unignorable. Here's Philippe. It was mandatory for everyone in the business, both, you know, hacks and flacks, to, to watch what he was focusing on. Matt Drudge loved covering the presidential primary, which involved a favorite topic of his, the Clintons, and a dynamic newcomer to the national stage, Illinois Senator Barack Obama. So he covered the Democratic primary intensely, which meant that people like Rhinus, like it or not, would have to keep a close eye on the Drudge Report. Every time Drudge posted something new, political reporters who were glued to the site all day would follow up with the Clinton team. He could, in 50 words, light everyone's hair on fire. It was the perfect sort of combination. It was, he was this elusive figure that had, you know, definitely had sources on the Republican side, right? He has been right sometimes. He presses the button and gets everyone excited. And it's a, it's a simple topic, presented simply. It's basically tailor-made for the media environment of that time. And again, he could, there's no reason to think that he couldn't do the same thing now if he chose to. Clearly at some point he chose not to. Could he shift the energy of a, of a campaign or a news cycle? He absolutely could. He was effectively an assignment editor, no different than if an editor 
in their own newsroom walked over and said, I just got a call from a source that says X, go check out X. The only difference was it was Drudge and not someone in the room. You'd hear 10 other reporters, half of them say, I just saw on the wire. <laughs> and, you know, is that true? And I think they would believe Drudge more than they would believe any campaign. I do remember at one point having the 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 hard uh, conversation with myself about making him my my homepage because I you know it was so geared to that. I think with him, it was just an energy, not a good energy, but there was a a momentum that took hold in a way that nothing else did. He created nervous energy like nobody else among every corner of your world with your colleagues, with your bosses, with reporters, with donors, with supporters. Nothing good ever came of it. It's <laughs> not you're like, oh, good, a siren. This is going to be helpful. Presidential campaigns set up their press shops based on a set of standards and ground rules that they can expect from the press. Even though mainstream journalists might report negative information about a campaign, they at least call and ask for comment. They use multiple sources to confirm information. And most of all, the Clinton campaign could reach out to them and complain if they felt it was warranted. But Matt Drudge didn't play by those rules. And it drove Rhinus crazy. With Drudge, you're not even given the opportunity to ignore him. <laughs> And he's ignoring you. He's ignoring the apparatus that people set up to work with the media. You probably get a fair number of people whose bosses are like, why couldn't you talk to him? You can't just say, oh, he's Matt Drudge. He doesn't take any calls. It's like, well, get his number. I mean, it's, <laughs> you get, you become resigned to it, how his, you know, his modus operandi, but that doesn't mean anyone likes it and doesn't mean a, you know, a campaign manager is going to accept it. Like, well, why can't you take him to lunch? Would it help if I called him? Like, no, I think it would probably be worse if you called him. If George Soul existed, it'd be pointless to have a press operation. Do you know where Matt Drudge is? If you have a great Matt Drudge story that can shed insight into the mysterious mogul and help us on our search, call us at 301 200 2414 and tell us about it. We may even air your message in the final episodes of the show. If you want us to credit you, please say so and leave your name. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. As frustrating as dealing with the Drudge Report was, the Clinton campaign did have someone on the inside who was secretly working with Matt Drudge. Her name was Tracy Seffel. In 2004, just a few years before Hillary Clinton launched her first campaign for president, Tracy Seffel was a young political operative fresh out of graduate school when she first met Matt Drudge. Three years later, while working in conjunction with the Clinton campaign, Seffel operated a secret back channel to Drudge, known at the time to only a handful of Clinton campaign insiders. Whenever the Clinton campaign was portrayed or as having some back channel, it was Tracy. Using AOL Instant Messenger, Seffel regularly fed Drudge scoops from inside the Clinton campaign, but they quickly became more than campaign confidants. Over months of trading gossip about politics in the media, you might even say the two became friends. Seffel spoke to me about her time with Matt Drudge, the man who nearly took down Bill Clinton only a few years earlier. How did the Hillary Clinton campaign view the Drudge Report? The campaign viewed the site through almost a religious lens in as much as it was, there were a lot of rituals, right? You would check it first thing in the morning. You would pop in and look at it during the day. You would ask questions based on what you were seeing. You would try to run something down if something caught your interest. You would inevitably be flagged by a television producer who saw the same link you saw and together you put together something for broadcast. It was a cyclical, endless place of check-in. I think a lot of people in those days, it was it was your homepage. In 2004, over White House Correspondents Association, uh, you know, the Bacchanalia weekend that used to be a thing, I met Matt at a party and introduced myself as someone who was doing the war room for the DNC for that election. And I was, I was doing the opposition research on George W. Bush, on Dick Cheney, and on the million stories that were being generated by those guys. So Matt was, he was interested in what my job was, and he also knew that I was coming to that political work right out of graduate school. I was not a campaign veteran. This was my very first campaign. So I was I was different, and I think that that factored into Matt and I really clicking. I found him to be really droll and observant. He was a funny guy. And here's the other thing. I was working seven days a week and he was always online. So we kind of, we were just kind of each other's really good pals who talked a lot. I'm someone who can 
recognize the absurdities in a lot of things. And I could recognize the absurdities even within the campaign that I was working on. I was kind of in on the jokes with Matt. That's that's how I would describe it. And we would talk about people. We would talk about specific members of the media who he had strong opinions about and oftentimes was, you know, pretty freaking funny in kind of making fun of people. So we we gossiped a lot. That is definitely something we did. How did you communicate with him? Primarily, we were doing, this is, you know, the blast from the past. We were doing uh, AOL IM. Uh, so I'm sure for a lot of people, you can remember, you know, what that interface looked like. Instant messaging, man, it was it was the thing. And that's primarily how we talked. We we got on the phone sometimes and we met in person several times. But boy, I, I tell you, you can accomplish a lot of work over instant messaging. Their relationship grew over time. And when the Clinton campaign launched in 2007, Seffel had an inside track with the most powerful man in online media and arguably media writ large. She knew him pretty well by then, and now she could act as a conduit between the Clinton world and the Drudge Report. I was grateful to see how he viewed media and specific members of the media. It helped me kind of frame what I talked to him about. But beside all of that, essentially, there was a a work function, too. I had a professional relationship where we were bi-directional. I was giving him information. He would give me information. He would post my information and he would tell me things that he heard as a result of that. So we really did have this, I recognize now, incredibly unique cycle that we, we kind of just developed over time. We were, you know, there were times when we were talking basically every day. Why do you think he engaged with you? Was it because you would give him things to dish about and he could gossip about different things and you kind of were playing with him on it? I took the work seriously, but not myself. I think he recognized that, like I was saying, you know, I wasn't a grizzled campaign vet. I was um, I was somebody new and different. And I think we we clicked a lot based on that. So you've been talking to him for a couple of years, and then the campaign rolls around in 2008. And do you think that Matt Drudge was a friend of Hillary Clinton or an enemy of her? How was he driving the narrative in that campaign? Well, this was, you know, every birthday, Christmas, Hanukkah gift wrapped with a bow for him. Hillary running for president was like his nirvana. I mean, this was something he had been almost almost like longing for. Both she and her husband are so formative in the existence of the Drudge Report. He understood that these were complicated, fascinating, and prominent people who he could follow closely and shape others' opinions. Hillary running for president was peak 
Matt Drudge. And nothing has been the same as what it was for that. And so was the stories that he was running crafting an anti-Hillary Clinton narrative at that time? I think he was crafting an intensely critical persona. He, you know, he was highlighting her every misstep and ignoring her every success. It was a lot of, you know, flubs that would get attention. And next thing you know, it would be, you know, jumping over to cable news. So yes, he had been crafting a a caricature of Hillary and her running for president gave him latitude to expand the persona that he was helping create. To the surprise of many, but not to my surprise, but to the surprise of many, he played ball with me. He was willing to do things that were positive for Hillary, that would be interpreted as a success for her or a hit, if you will, in the campaign parlance. And I think people were shocked. Like, we thought Drudge, you know, he was anti-Hillary. Why is he doing these things that are nice to her? And it sounds silly. I mean, it sounds like um, middle schoolers or something, but he really did permit himself to be kind to her. It wasn't a permanent situation and it wasn't a fail-safe situation, but there were certainly positive successes in Hillary's favor that Matt created or amplified. And did anyone on the campaign who knew you had this relationship with him encourage you to try to craft the coverage or or send him articles to to try to make more favorable news articles on that site? A hundred and fifty thousand percent, yes. <laughs> it was a really small group of people that knew what I was doing. Uh, I would say less than you could count on one hand of full-time campaign staff who who knew of my relationship and who worked closely with me when we had content that we wanted him to have. So it was it was an interesting position for me to be in because it was pretty secret at this point. I guess that's the best way to say it, Chris, that it was a secret. Not a lot of people knew. I had no formal title for what I was doing with the campaign. It was kind of a secret little satellite operation that I was running and a few others were contributing to. So you are the secret drudge whisperer, basically. (laughs) I think that is such a funny phrase, but it's accurate. I would say our relationship resulted in a couple different things. I got a lot of sirens out of Matt and your listeners who are of that era will know the the holy grail of the red drudge siren right it was it was everybody stop what you're doing something's about to happen he's got he's got the siren up so i got a lot of sirens up with things that i was giving him or things that i was about to give him you know if if we were going to be releasing some 
policy or some statement or some fundraising data, he would get the heads up. The way the Drudge Report is is primarily working, of course, is linking to articles. But what my relationship was oftentimes creating those big, giant font, red siren headlines at the top of the page. Those had extraordinary weight. I don't believe that it's the same in present day, but at the time, something at the top of the Drudge Report may not even be a hyperlink. It could just be text that he put up that says, Hillary crushing her fundraising numbers. And everyone would go nuts, just nuts. It's hard to understate just how reverent the political world was around the Drudge Report. And something going up with a siren and big font up at the top of the site, I mean, that was like, put aside whatever else you're doing. This is now our priority. And that was pretty intense. We accomplished a lot together had a lot of successes for me. I think he got a lot of successes in terms of his influence being very solid. It was really defined by this cycle of sharing information both ways. And it was always peppered with some, you know, observations or comedy or personal asides. We knew that we were trafficking good information back and forth. Campaigns have a lot of choices with which reporters to go to, maybe with a scoop or an inside story. Why go to Drudge and not, say, the New York Times or the Associated Press or ABC News? Place yourself in the moment where everyone's homepage was drudgereport.com. Imagine just how important he was it's almost as if a bell would ring in every newsroom when the red siren would come up. His scoops, his headlines, his all caps, shouting fonts, those were, it was, it was like calling the troops to duty. Reporters would jump. You would see it jump from the screen of the Drudge Report to the television, to the dayside cable show to a wire report. He was America's assignment editor. Do you think there came a time when he switched and thought, you know what? My new bread and butter is this guy, Barack Obama, because people go nuts about this guy. He certainly was seeing that. He, you know, he was witnessing what we were all witnessing, this sort of, you know, the electricity around Obama's campaign. But he also was having fun with Obama. Um, I remember in particular, there was a, a day where then Senator Obama was going to give a major speech on Iraq. And it was, you know, it was the talk of talk of the town that the speech was going to be a really big deal, you know, kind of a capstone moment for his campaign. But what Drudge put up on the website was something he'd gotten from me, which was a surge in fundraising numbers that we were reporting. So he did 
the red alert siren, not about Obama's major Iraq speech, but the siren was for, you know, queen of the quarter, Hillary crushes Obama in fundraising. And he loved that. He, I mean, how fun was that to essentially create something that upstaged or stepped on Obama's prepared messaging moment. Um, that was, you know, it was, it was pretty fun. So if you're smart about it, you can completely take the wind out of Obama's sails just with one AIM message. That's what we did. That is what we did. I never really embraced this as like some sort of powerful perch because I knew that at any moment he could still fuck us over. He would still do it when he could. He would screw her over, screw us over. And I can remember other staffers, you know, the people who knew about this, they would say to me, at the end of the day, Matt Drudge is still a Republican. And whether or not that's true, it certainly helped rein in any sense of, you know, supreme power. Because for him, the Drudge Report was performance art. That's that's what the site was. And Matt appreciates comedy. And for him, there was there was some comedy in this back and forth and pumping up Hillary and giving her these amazing headlines and amazing stories and sirens galore, driving so much positive coverage. But that was never something I thought would last forever. Did Hillary Clinton ever look at the Drudge Report? I don't know anyone who didn't. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Cephal and Drudge's relationship was definitely transactional and professional. But over that time, they sort of became friends. So much so that Drudge invited her to visit him in his condo in Miami, something very few Washington political operatives would ever have the chance to do. Cephal took him up on it. For years, she kept this part of her friendship with Drudge private and has only recently begun to speak publicly about it. I didn't talk about the times that we spent together. I, I never... Sh- felt comfortable sharing that with anyone. It it felt like kind of our private relationship until, you know, the last couple of years when it's my belief that the, the site is, it's not Matt's DNA the way it once was. 
And I feel okay talking about our relationship. I really did maintain privacy around our relationship. I, that felt like the respectful thing to do. But boy, we had fun. I mean, we we hung out a, a couple different times in memorable ways in Miami, in DC, and at his house. He had me over. And a couple of my favorite memories from being welcomed and invited into his home, uh, he told me I was the third woman to ever set foot in his place. I mean, that's not something anyone would want on their gravestone, but I certainly recognized that that was, that was quite something. Um, and, it, you know, he lived in a, he had, maybe he still does, this beautiful condo in downtown Miami, sleek and modern and very chic. And, you know, to have someone welcome you into their home, I think it, it says something about their trust in you. So I appreciated that. He and my husband and I all had dinner too. I mean, um, that that was fun. That was, we had a good time. There was a lot of gossip and stories and, you know, a very easy, friendly relationship. And I recognize how unusual that was. We spoke a lot about cats. I think we were sharing photos too. And, you know, he loved his cats at the end of the day, he's he's a guy, just a, a person, as much as he is this creature that people have made him into. Some of what we did was just kind of mundane, hanging out, going to a restaurant, sitting and talking, driving around in his convertible, you know, tooling around Miami or spending time just catching up. I think we really knew each other as well as we wanted the other person to know us. This was Washington, after all, a city where nothing stays secret forever. In October 2007, the New York Times ran a story that dished everything about Seffel's relationship with Drudge. My cover was blown at that point, and it certainly changed my relationships with political media. And when the New York Times reported on your relationship with Matt Drudge, how did Matt respond to that? Well, we knew the article was coming. He knew, I knew. We agreed that neither of us was going to comment. He got the story before it was even online. So he saw the finished piece. He saw that, you know, indeed, neither of us had commented. He shared it with me. It went live. It captured everyone's attention. And there was a, you know, a little mini frenzy around that. I think we were both satisfied of the other's decision to not comment. So that was definitely collaborative. Hillary Clinton ended up losing the Democratic primary to Barack Obama. In 2008, she officially dropped out of the race, urging her supporters to rally behind him. Today, as I suspend my campaign, I congratulate him on the victory he has won and the extraordinary race he has run I endorse him and throw my full support behind him. Matt Drudge was in the audience that day. Seffel had brought Drudge as her plus one. It was a rough day for Seffel, who had poured her heart and soul into the campaign. It would also be the last time she ever saw Matt Drudge in person. I know the last time I saw him in person was when we attended 
Hillary's concession speech. I remember that very well, June 7th, 2008. He picked me up, we drove to the event, we tried to hang out in the back, and pretty soon uh, his presence was noted and our cover was kind of blown. We did not get to just hang out in the back, but that's the last time we were together. With your hybrid relationship, both professional and friendly with him, when you were in this time of working so hard for a candidate and having to face the day of that candidate dropping out, did he serve a role as a friend to you? Was he comforting or was he there more as a news observer? I think he was there as Matt, the human being. I think he truly wanted to see and hear what that event was like. I think in, in many ways, he had been a part of it. I can understand why if you work day in and day out on something, uh, you want to see it through its, you know, see it to the end. And that's what he did. And in front of him, his this person that he knows, you, a friend, if, if you can want to call it that, right, uh, is probably going through something really tough. Did you find him to be emotionally supportive? Yeah, I think he was perfectly appropriately uh, sensitive to to how I felt about her dropping out and conceding the race. Cephal looks back on those days with Drudge as a special time. She hasn't spoken to him in many years. We talked a lot about what he was looking forward to doing post-campaign, and I like to think that that's, that's kind of where he is now. He's, he's living the good life. He's, he's enjoying the finer things in the world. He's living off of the profits of this thing that he created. For better or for worse, the good, the not good. And I think that he saw 2008 as his peak as well. I think he was, he was kind of fried, ready to get away. Like an athlete, you, you're at your peak at some point in your career, but you're not retired yet. I think that's what his arc felt like to me from that point in time in that 2008 era up to today. It's, you know, he's, he's an athlete whose best years might be behind him, but he's still Matt Drudge. So do you know where he's living now? I don't. I, I, I can imagine he has his favorite places. I know the places where he's been spotted or where he has a home. And I know he, he likes to travel, so perhaps he's hopping around. But this is a guy who's been on, he's been in on the joke the whole way. So wherever he might be, he, he's still keeping one finger on the pulse, maybe just not with as much wild abandon as he once did. So do you think he still is involved with the site on a daily basis? I think it depends. Sometimes, maybe, most of the time, I don't think so. Um, I don't think the site represents the tone of the guy that I knew. As someone who has spent time with him, for everybody else, he's elusive. He's mysterious. Why? Why do you think he keeps the cards so close to his vest? I think he's seen that it worked. It elevated him. It created a persona, a mystique, that he could shape. 
He knew that if he was going to come to D.C. to attend Hillary's concession speech, he knew that someone would see him. He knew that that would be written as the elusive Matt has appeared in public. He was the master of his own profile. And I think he saw the benefits of being the mystery man. He laughed a lot about the reporting others did about him. You know, if if a book came out or some sort of analysis appeared, he, he would laugh. He would say to me, that guy has no idea what he's talking about. And, you know, so he was reading what was being written about him and he he didn't care that it wasn't accurate. I think he just recognized that that persona was a valuable persona. I think he felt like um, somebody who could, you know, kind of rub their hands together and say, my work here is done. I've created this. I'm the king, you know, I I rule the world, I'm done. Uh, I think he was hanging his own mission-accomplished banner. Turned out, 2008 was really just the warm-up act for Matt Drudge. Just a few years later, Donald Trump would give Drudge a chance to take his legacy even higher, to become a presidential kingmaker. This is Finding Matt Drudge. Stay tuned. Remember to call us at 301-200-2414 if you have a great tip or a great Matt Drudge story. We'll track down the tips for the final episodes of the show. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.